Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether or not you should dig these out again. So, if you're ready for an 80s music deep dive from Aha to Wham, Bowie to XTC, Madonna, Hair Metal, New Wave, and all points in between, then crank the boombox, turn your Walkman up to 10, and let's go! And we're back. Hello, hello. Welcome, everyone, everyone. How long has it been since we've talked? Three oh, weeks? Four weeks? I think it's been a while. Yeah, three weeks. God almighty. I've but been sitting on these records forever. We had to punt on the, this recording a couple times. It feels like a new year, though, because it is, we're covering a new year. Right. It finally feels like 1983. Woohoo! We're here at a press conference at the offices of MTV Music Television, awaiting a major announcement from the executive in charge of programming. Ladies and gentlemen of the press, your first question. Rumors are that there's going to be a major event at MTV this New Year's Eve. Can you confirm those rumors for us? Yes. It is now official that on New Year's Eve, MTV will present our second annual New Year's Eve rock and roll ball. Excuse me. Can you confirm, is this going to be televised live on MTV? You bet, sweetheart. Live. It'll be great. The show will be televised from New York City for four hours in stereo beginning at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Or is this going to be a traditional New Year's Eve party like Guy Lombardo had with, with classical music? No way, Banana Breath. This is all rock and roll. Who's playing? What's the name of the band? Tell us what groups are going to be there. What's the lineup? One question at a time, okay? Who's playing? Duran Duran and a flock of seagulls. Seagulls. We'll be rocking all night long with celebrity guests, rock and roll artists who'll be stopping by all five VJs and a few surprises. There you have it, MTV Music Television's second annual New Year's Eve Rock and Roll Ball. It'll be live Friday, December 31st, 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You'll see live performances by Duran Duran, A Flock of Seagulls, Jack Mack and the Heart Attack, and the producers. I have a theory, guys. I, I think, when you think of decades, right, when you t- think of the 90s or the 80s or the 2000s culturally mm-hmm. what you're really talking about is the first half of a decade so i'm putting forward the theory that 1983 is going to be the high water mark for the 80s i've you- never thought of that i'd have to map that out i should take the most played 80 songs like mm-hmm. based on airplay and figure out what which year they came out in right that would be interesting because i would guess probably like 84 to 86. Okay. Would be my range, probably. Like so I feel like 84 and 85. So we're going to need some hardcore data analysis on this. Yeah, we'll uh, get back to you we'll next week. We'll send this to we'll the 80s Music Exposed uh, Research data Department analysis team and get back with you. By the way, that's the show you're listening to. And I'm Henry. Oh, yeah. I'm Chris. I'm Megan. And we listen to records, man. Lots of them. Lots of them. Five. Five. We pick out five records every month of the 80s. And we're like, we're, we just did our 50th episode. January so far across the entire spectrum doesn't seem like a big, big month for records. 
Doesn't seem like I it's like the we've best. Had worse, though. Really? We've had, oh yeah, we definitely had worse. Yeah, I don't want to tease this. I don't want anybody let's to turn off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, they said it sucks, so let's turn it off. <laughs> all gonna, the hosts at all these records suck ass. It's going to be fun. So, it's not. It's going to be great. Onward and upward. Ooh, I, I I forgot about this, Henry. I wanted to bring up and do this every month. I'm being told now we have a brand new segment uh, for you folks. It's called, uh, and don't be uh, uh, discouraged by the title. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't want you to get the feeling that we're so pessimistic here and so cynical It just happens to be the title of the segment, okay? Don't hold it against me. Please don't prejudge. The title of the segment is Nobody Cares. Nobody Cares. I wanted to bring up what was on the Billboard Top 100 each month as we go forward. Number five was Man Eater. Man Eater was number one uh, for one week of January and stayed in the top five for three weeks. Oh, here she comes. Yep. What's number four? When I get that feeling. <laughs> what is it? Sexual healing. Marvin oh, Gaye. yeah, right. Sexual healing, Marvin Gaye. I couldn't tell the way you were singing. <laughs> I knew what you were doing, Henry. You're fine. That one hovered around the top five the entire month. It did not make it to number one. Neither did the number three song, although it was there. It was in the top five the entire month, and that was Dirty Laundry by Don Henley. Don Henley, yeah. And that was off his first solo record. I didn't realize we missed that in 1982. That would that that will be in the greatest misses episode, probably. Okay, Megan, what was the second song? The girl is mine by Michael Jackson. Yes, and that one was uh, number. It made it to number one. It was one week at number one. I I I don't can't believe that made it to number one. Again, (laughs) song didn't. This is like Michael Jackson, like building up though that like he wasn't quite at his zenith. The number one song for the entire month was just dominant. It was uh, number one for three weeks in a row, and that was Down Under by Men at Work. When you think about Down Under, what's the first thing you think about, the voice or the flute? I think about a Vegemite sandwich. <laughs> I think about... The flute, the flute line that they got... The kookaburra line. That yeah. they got yeah, sued over. Right. Do you think it was number one for three weeks because it was gimmicky? I always felt like that was their most gimmicky tune. Right. I mean, it has to be like, that's how I view it. Like, I don't even really view it as an actual song anymore. Like, it's just so like it epitomizes kind of the 80s in a right. certain way. Like, it seems like, oh, almost cornball, but not quite. Oh, it's good. Like, yeah, it's, it's good, but it's but it could you, you could be forgiven for thinking of it being like a little cornball song, you know? Well, we'll see next month if any of these five made it through into February. But I thought it'd be cool to cover it each month just to keep people in that frame of mind. Um, also, what do you guys think about uh, talking about a few significant events from that month? Sounds great. All right. Uh, the first one was one of my favorite shows when I was a kid. The A-Team premiered on January 23rd, 1983. I pity the fool. I certainly do Who as didn't well. watch that show. I saw a commercial with Mr. T in it recently, like Mr. T now. Current Mr. T. And he looks pretty much the same. Also, the seatbelt law went into effect in the U.K., do you know why I put that in there, Henry? No, I have no idea why. Because we did not have a seatbelt law yet in the United States. Really? Not even then. The UK was the first country to pass a seatbelt requirement law. I remember, Henry, in the early 80s, riding in my grandmother's car, and there was no harness. It was just a seatbelt. Oh, yeah. Like a lap Oh, yeah. Belt. Yeah. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Did you, have you ever ridden in a car like that, Megan? Oh, yeah. With yeah. just a lap belt? 
Definitely. Like, I feel like, you know, when I was a kid even, so like being born in 92, so small kid in like late 90s, basically, like there was still, especially my grandparents and Mm -hmm. like older relatives, Mm -hmm. I feel, you know, there would be like a seatbelt, but it would be all like knotted up or like pushed in the seat, seat. like nobody actually used it or really made you use it. So, And the scuttlebutt was always, if you got in a wreck in a car that had that, oh, it could cut you in half. Oh yeah, you right. Know, that was the story. That was the old them. people like, don't use yeah. it; it'll don't, cut you in half. Yes, yeah. yeah. Never mind the steering column wear it. embedded wear it. in your chest. Don't wear the lap belt because it'll cut you in half if we get in an accident. <laughs> At the box office, Tootsie, starring Dustin Hoffman and Jessica Lange, was number one in January of uh, 1983. I think we mentioned last episode that Megan has not seen Tootsie yet. Is that correct? Um, no, I have seen Tootsie. Oh, you have? Okay. I have, and um, that's all thanks to the pandemic because I watched it last year. Mm-hmm. Like I think actually probably about almost officially a year ago uh, for the first time nice. because like I was home and I didn't have anything to do really, so I watched it and I really liked it. I I, I was wondering if you if you liked it. if it still it's held been, up because I liked a long it a lot. Time. Yeah. I don't remember if it was good or not. Was it? I think it's pretty good actually. Did I remember correctly? But wasn't Dustin Hoffman's roommate Brian, Bill Murray? Mm. I think so. Really? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Like when he lived, sure. they were like struggling actors and that's why he decided to do the whole soap opera thing. But and for some mm-hmm. reason I immediately I was when I looked at it, I was like, was it Dustin Hoffman or was it Robin Williams? You know, because of the Mrs. Doubtfires. Oh, <laughs> right, right. I like conflated it. I was like, was it really? Yeah, it was Dustin Hoffman. That was kind of the 90s But version. that was a big deal, right? There weren't many like mainstream cross-dressing, what was the word? Cross-dressing actor movies. I guess that's... How you define it? Sure. That's, well, that'll it's work. Funny, it's like done in the most 80s way too because like he basically has to do that, you know, in order to like get his career going right. or like get some money. So it's like he's not doing it because he wants to or he like, you know, that's who he is. He's doing it like for money and like for a career, which still is a way of kind of exposing America, you know, or whatever, the world pop culturally to you know, different ways of thinking, I guess. But it made it in safe. It made it safe in the 80s for us to go, oh, it's okay to watch him do that because he's a struggling actor. Well, do you remember the other 80s movie where it was the female high school student who had to pretend to be a, a male? I do remember cut her that. hair. Yes. And had the, uh, I think even the, the movie poster had her covering her breasts with two football helmets or something like that. <laughs> that's my memory of it. I don't know if it's real or no, not. No, that's probably accurate, actually. I do remember that movie. I can't remember the name what of it. What is it called? It's like, it's not Man of the Year, but it's like something is like that. One, is it one of the boys? Yeah, that sounds well, right. Be. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to look that up. Um, also, how about this one? If, if we're really reminiscent about change room movies how about the one where um c thomas Howell wears blackface oh, and become another soul man that movie could not happen today well how no. is he how is he not canceled now because of that movie i think it's still within the time period that he should be canceled <laughs> that is horrific it's you should go back horrific. and watch this movie bro. i can't there are watch things it i remember about it it's brutal by the way uh henry i verified the movie with the uh, with the lady that went as a man was called just one of the guys just one of the guys yes that's that's (laughs) about as good as we get at talking about pertinent issues to the day (laughs) why don't we talk about something we know something about oh my god the first album too 
You know, I was going to introduce the first album, but I'm going to let Megan do it. Megan, lead us into this first album. Does that mean you're taking mine? <laughs> sure. Well, no, you can have them both. Actually. Uh, the first album that we're going to, well, song we're going to listen to is The Closer You Get by Alabama, which is also the name of the album. It is. And it's an, it's believe it or not, it's an all music four star record. Does anybody know where this band's <laughs> from? I think, are they from like Rhode Island or? It better be fucking Alabama. Canada, I thought. It's, a, it's Alabama, I think. that Casio keyboard. I think that's that, a, that makes it 80s, y'all. That's a good lead-in to what... The only, the, <laughs> Where that new That wave. song, though, is everywhere. Why don't I remember that keyboard part? I swear, I wanted, I wanted to go look and see if they did some sort of special <laughs> Southern radio edit. <laughs> That did not include that key that keyboard part because it was so fucked up. Uh, I don't remember that part at all. Megan just sent a picture of the person that I think was responsible. I can see now why they were making these decisions. <laughs> That's a member oh, of Alabama. Oh boy. I mean but supposedly these songs are in my range, weird enough. Like I can sing them convincingly. Oh boy. Well, they're not. I, I okay. missed my car. I should have fronted Alabama. Well, it's like old school kind of country music. And I feel like a lot of that music, it does kind of sound the same. You know, it's very formulaic. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't really think like this does not sound that unique, but I also don't really know country that much. So it's not also that offensive. It's just like not my type of music. I thought I was always of the opinion that, you know, all the artwork was always about rebel flags and all oh, we're we're hard asses and all this stuff but every song is this corny sappy like love song shit okay um, let's you know? but let's let's put it in context all because right. if you were a glutton for punishment like i was and i went back and checked a couple older alabama records because i was like megan i remember them so henry and i are from uh north carolina yep. um and we would go to myrtle beach every summer in south carolina and there's a bar there called the alabama Bar, maybe something like that. <laughs> I don't really know, but it had rebel flags, like the whole thing's painted like a rebel flag. And it's mm-hmm. like Alabama's home away from home. They played there all the time in the summer. And it was like 
biker bar. It was very scary. It was not like this album. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely like you didn't want to go near the Alabama bar unless you were like a shit kicker. So, yeah, so their their albums prior to this were more like bluegrass meets Southern rock. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this was definitely a departure, but in my in my opinion, there's there's two ways I had to look at this record. First, the first way was as a member of this podcast, do I want to recommend this record for people that listen? No, no, I do not. But number the other way to look at it was what was it meant to do? And I think what I think what we were seeing at this time was there were a couple records that had huge crossover appeal before this album. Uh-huh. And I think country music was being forced by the industry to like, hey, Juice Newton had a huge crossover oh. hit. Hey, Eddie Rabbit had a crossover hit. Holy shit, Kenny Rogers just did a Bee Gees record, mm-hmm. and it fucking crushed. Alabama, why don't we put some Casio on here? Ballad you up. Because they. this whole album is like seven right. fucking ballads. It, all of it, yeah. You're just a heartache in disguise. Won't you keep my heart from breaking if it's only for a very short time? Playing with the queen of hearts. to the cover of this record. There was a band (laughs) called the Oak Ridge Boys and the Statler Brothers that were doing members-only jacket advertisements, and they looked like this shit, like they were wearing, like, fucking Panama hats and fucking, I don't know what these guys got on. Hey, hey, have you tried it? Put it on, you're gonna like what you see. Here's the thing, the last thing I want to say about it, and you you guys could crush it, but it went four times platinum. What the fuck? (laughs) So it did its job. It made the Billboard Top 10, and it was number one on the country charts for over a month. So it did what they intended. I just don't think it did anything memorable. And I don't know that it did any crossover had any crossover appeal either. Did you happen to look and see? Oh, no. Megan sent us another, another photo one? from the time period. You can buy a lot of hats. Man, those Panama... He, he's a dead ringer for Panama Jack. <laughs> oh, buy boy. a lot of hats with that kind of treader. So Dude. they didn't write these. Well, they wrote a few of these songs. Mm-hmm. Um, the title one, he didn't. In fact, two other bands had done this same song. It was written by the guys in a band called Exile. These fucking songs took that many people. I guess, but uh, Don, 
Don King did a version of it. Exile did another version. Oh, of Don it. King. The this Exile a- version's even worse. <laughs> If you can it's believe almost, it. it's I can't I can't tell the difference. It seems like all the same to me. <laughs> Dixie Land Delight on this thing was a hit. I didn't remember this song, but I could see why it was a hit. Did you not find they use the word Dixie way too much on yes. this album? It's fucking everywhere. Yeah. And apparently That's still a market Alab- like for country music too. I'm gonna give this one a thumbs down, by the way. <laughs> Way down. Yeah. I'm also going to give it a thumbs down. All right, Henry, tell us what our next album is. All right. It's not Ryan Adams. It's the other guy, Brian Adams, with a record called, I'm going to do my Casey Case, with a record called Straight from the Heart. That didn't sound like him at all. No. I have to work on my Casey Case. But we're going to play part of a song called This Time. So he's he's rocking that gravel voice, man. If you took Rick Springfield and you John said. Cougar Mellencamp, oh don't ooh, man, don't lump the and Cougar threw in, in with this and guy. threw and threw in a bunch of gravel. That's not <laughs> fair. That's not fair. I said in my notes that Rick Springfield, Richard Marks, and, and Brian Adams should and form Richard an unsuper group. <laughs> what would they be called though? That's very. They'd important. be called bland. They should. <laughs> I just feel like they should have called this album like this is this one's for the ladies or something like that because it's all that's like, what he was. He, he, I, he the, it was so like oh I'm just this conflicted dude you know <laughs> but I, I'm so sweet in here see this little keyboard part that I got <laughs> like oh he's so sweet I like him but he's, he's so you, bad he's you, a bad boy but you can already hear on this record where he's trying to be like the rock and roll guy yes he's already starting down that ballad road it, that he's one, got like oh a, he perfects that oh I know by the but, oh Fuck. Oh, oh within, you wait. within 10 years, he's going to fucking... Summer 69, and then he's going to go Robin oh, he's going to crush your ass he's with go Ro- Robin, Robin Hood. Robin <laughs> That shit fucking melted me into a puddle of fucking please don't do that anymore. Look into your
nothing stands out really mm-hmm. about any of his stuff. I don't know who Brian Adams is as a person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he just is a fe- seems like a very generic, like you guys said, kind of like trying to be the artistic, tortured rock mm-hmm. guy. But it's just it does not come across as genuine. Like maybe he that's who he is, but like he's, it seems very contrived. He's got two gears. He's got the non ballad rocker mid-tempo rocker and he's got the ballad that's what he's got could you guys humor me i have four interesting notes about brian adams sure i've got two i I don't think we're ever going to talk about him again let's trade off okay can i give you my first one yes he opened for the police that's more interesting than all four of mine (laughs) (laughs) this album was named number 48 of the greatest canadian lps of all time oh my god (laughs) (laughs) What's your other one, Henry? Brian Adams has a charity list a mile long. He performs all over the place for charities. He's a good guy. He is. Oh, I like he that. intervened in a whale killing just last year. With he did what? He fucking intervened <laughs> physically. You know, in the harpoon. You know, where they were going to kill a whale with Greenpeace. He put his own ass in the way of the of the harpoon. This guy. I love I shit you not. I got two more points. The next one is not as this is the, my, I'm going to go with my non-fascinating one. Did you know that Brian Adams has had a very, very, very successful photography career in the past really? 20 years? I did not. He has been, um, he's a portrait photographer. He's been featured in Rolling Stone and other music magazines and lots of models, female models. He is their go-to photographer. So he's had this like super hip. He's known as like a super hip like photographer in a way that he never was with his music. And he said it often surprises people that he does photographs with uh, that are in the very, very arty world when they realize that it's that Brian Adams. He's like, he can see the look come over their face and be like, you're the same dude that did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, but my most interesting Brian Adams fact of all is he is the first ever artist that I've seen, but I think he might be the first, according to some people on uh, Reddit, to be de-rezzed by the All Music website. Any idea why? No, because, you know, All Music claims they cover every album, period. So I went to All Music to find he doesn't exist on All Music. And the guesses on Reddit were that he didn't like one of the reviews they had posted of his records, so he told them to take all his music down, because they can't imagine that All Music would have just been like, no, nah, this guy sucks so bad we can't cover his record. Megan, do you have any interesting facts on Brian Adam? I mean, really the only thing that I have is I remember seeing this album like in the store when I was a kid, like just in the CD section, and like he's holding his guitar a certain way where it almost like from a distance looks like he has a tail. <laughs> it does. It does. I, I, yeah. I can see so, that. Like, that when I was a kid, pose, that's what I thought yeah. it was. And I'm then look- I remember looking at it, which I mean, I don't really listen to Brian Adams very much, so I don't know when this happened, but I, I remember looking at the album. I was like, oh, it's a guitar, yeah. not a tail. From where I can see it, he looks like a little, uh, he looks like a fawn <laughs> with a guitar coming out of his butt. Good. That so was an interesting fact. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool that he's a photographer. I had no idea about that. Yeah, and a really cool one. So I'm glad he found a career where he's like the man. I'm going to give this album a thumbs down, by the way. <laughs> Me too. Okay. It's just gen- it's very generic, so yeah. Hey, folks. I'm just going to interrupt for a second here. 
If you are a podcast junkie like I am, you've probably thought about starting your own podcast. Well, I can tell you firsthand that starting a podcast is one of the best decisions we've ever made, but it can feel a little overwhelming if you don't know how to get started. And that's why I was really glad to find Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way I've ever found to launch a professional, or in our case, a semi-amateur professional podcast. These folks have helped over 100,000 people launch their own podcasts. They will get you onto every major podcasting platform like Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, Google, Amazon. You can also get a great-looking podcast website. There are audio players that you can drop into other websites. My favorite part of is the detailed analytics that show uh, how many of you are listening. We look at this all the time. That's how we know where you are and how many of you are there. There are also tools there to promote your episodes and so on. Buzzsprout publishes a new blog on all kinds of topics all the time, like equipment and formats, and they have their own podcast episodes. There's also YouTube videos every week so that you can learn the ins and outs of podcasting from the people that eat and drink and breathe it so you never feel like you're on your own. So to start your own podcast and to get a $20 Amazon gift card, go and grab the link that I've got in the show notes. This lets Buzzsprout know that we sent you. It also helps support our show. So remember, Buzzsprout, the easiest way to start a podcast. Megan, I didn't want to steal your song, so if you want to go ahead and introduce the next one, you can go for it as well. It is... The Walk by Rhythmics off of the album Sweet Dreams. Yes, and this is also an all-music four-and-a-half-star album, and it also sort of falls in the category of shit we like. At least this one sounds like 1983, or what I what I assume 1983 is supposed to sound like. I could see the that. cool 1983. Yeah, it's interesting because in my mind, I always, I guess, and we'll talk about this probably at length. The the video, Sweet Dreams, I always assumed as a kid they were like the epitome of new wave. But going back and listening to this, I don't see this album as new wave at all. I see it more as like early white girl soul. That like I don't know what you call that. That not blue eyed soul, but like that. Mm-hmm. I called it the Benetton soul, like that's going to come in a couple of years where people I think are imitating mm-hmm. Eurythmics like um, Roxette oh. or, ooh, I even, I, I dug up some other ones that you guys are going to love. Um, do you remember probably- Lisa Stansfield? Oh, okay. Or Swing Out Sister?
Eurythmics was a jumping off point for those guys, you're saying? I feel like they were like the arty version, and then people started creating their own versions, and it started being the background music when you were in the gap. Well, and how much of it do you think had to do with Annie Lennox, mm. like her look? Great point, because I think that's this was the the... the the song Sweet Dreams was the fifth single off the album. It had oh, not really? done well at all, right? And so until the video appeared with the orange crew cut and the androgynous look, I'm not certain, Megan, that they would have ever been a thing at all. Yep, I agree. I think the MTV <laughs> did it. Mm-hmm. And that, and, and I kind of hate that because I, I've never been a huge fan. However, I'm a fan of them individually. Like by the time Annie Lennox did that diva record, like, I just felt like she was like a big artist. I was like, she may never even have happened without that orange crew cut, right? I know. And they're both very talented. Yeah, yeah. It is kind of sad because it is a little gimmicky, and I think that they're actually like both much better than that. This record leans really hard into her beautiful voice. Which mm-hmm. she has, she has a carries great the whole thing. Yeah, because Dave right. Stewart, I think we know Henry, you and I know him now more. I know him more as like a guitar like a great guitar player songwriter. There's not much guitar on this album no, at all. No. Yeah. And and the songs just aren't there, right? They're just not great, great songs. I mm-hmm. just have to tell you. Mm-hmm. She carries it mostly. Sweet Dreams is the, the best song on the record, hands down. The others just don't quite do it, you know? I, I will say that one thing I noticed was that, or I continue to notice, is that the pop music of this period was was more mature on on the whole right than others um the average age of a pop star in the in the 80s was like late 80s early 30s which is how old they were late 20s yeah late 20s early 30s so i like that though because i feel like that's when i mean i'm not an artist but like I don't know. I feel like that's when like somebody is a person, like mm-hmm. they've kind of become like an actual person, you know, they have some life experience, they have some perspective. Exactly. And I mean, I know that changes too, probably depending on the time, but like, I don't know. I like that. I also too. like that it gave us as teenagers, something to look to, to grow into, as opposed to looking at people that right. were our same age. So it was just trying to look at a reflection of ourselves. I, I don't know about you, Henry, but as a kid, I was so fascinated with that video for that very reason because I was attracted to her. Mm-hmm. But my brain was telling me I'm not supposed to be attracted to her because she's wearing a suit mm-hmm. and a crew cut. And right. I'm like, oh, wait, that's a man kind of. Is it kind of like I like her, but, but she's, she's really cool looking. But I've never. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of thing. And I think that made like a lot of us that made the song be played all the time because we were right. like, I want to see that video again. Right, but I mean, we'd already been exposed to uh, Boy George, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, but it was just different back then, different. though, because mm-hmm. you had it in such smaller doses. Like, mm-hmm. now you see androgynous people and you see people who, like, bend and, like, break all these barriers all the time. Like, that's, like, almost expected uh, in pop culture. And if you're going to be, like, a celebrity, you kind of have to be almost now, it seems. And back then, it just was so different because, like, just a woman having, like, short, brightly colored hair. Because mm-hmm. I remember even when I was a little kid seeing, like, the commercials on TV for, like, the CD compilations, like, the 80s ones. And they'd always show the clip of her from that video. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being like, whoa, like, she looks so weird. Like, it was still weird. At oh, that yeah. Point. And it's, like, funny because if you think about it now, looking back, 
like Bowie and Nothing. and the New York Dolls and all the super cool, like the nouveau riche cool people had already done this in the seventies. It was already mm-hmm. done. Like the Eurythmics were bringing it to like East Tennessee, right? right. They were bringing it, it to like TV in the seventies. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it was like bringing it to the regular people. So I was just blown away. Well, by think it. about it. They, that that was an important spot to nail down. I mean, you're not Cabaret Voltaire. No, you know you Cabaret Voltaire will never make it in Tennessee. No. You know what I mean? Right, right. So it took something like that to pierce the Right. <laughs> pierce through and um and have a have a hit like that, I think. But I agree with you guys. It was kind of sad going back and listening to the record. I was hoping there was more to it. Like the yeah. record was really good mm-hmm. too. And I, I'm not certain that it was a great record. But here's the thing. It's a thumbs down, but it's not an Alabama thumbs down. <laughs> you know? Oh no. Like exactly. Yeah. Well, and I feel like maybe they're just like kind of a singles band instead mm-hmm. of an album band. I think you're right. Like, I, like, I like a lot. Like there's Eurythmic songs I really like, but like I've listened to some of their albums before and like as a whole, none of the albums stand out. Yeah. The only one I'm going to make one caveat to that. There is one I don't think we're allowed to cover unless um, I we may have to break a rule. The soundtrack they did for the movie 1984 oh. is one of my favorite albums. And it's, and I think they were allowed to just be weird without trying to do a pop hit. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a cool record. Like go, go back and check that record out if you can find it. But I don't know if I've ever listened to it before. Yeah, it's great. It's really cool. I haven't heard it in years. cover soundtracks no no soundtracks we're not if, covering purple rain well, you could cover the entire flash gordon soundtrack by queen right but i wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> yes we can cover certain soundtracks we just, have, we we just kind of have an unwritten rule that we don't do greatest hits albums or soundtracks yeah we but, ran into soundtrack problems before yeah, anyway yeah. anyway but yeah i don't think this album itself lives up to the video or the song sweet dreams um even though i like those a lot i, I have to give this a thumbs down yep me too. Same. So, wow, we are all batting together. All batting Oh, it's about to change, though. Oh, some shit's oh, about to change. Yeah. yeah. We're going to listen to a little. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now, son, I see. This ain't here, Alabama. This is Death Leopard. <laughs> <laughs>
I don't know if I can say this. I may have to edit it out, but I, um, in this order, smoked my first cigarette, then hit my first double, if you know what that means, mm-hmm. and then threw up. Oh my god! To this song, <laughs> did you really? That's appropriate. <laughs> I mean, uh, Megan, this record was ubiquitous. Okay, um, everybody had the T-shirt. Thank you. Even for me, yes. I feel like this record, and like, I mean. I'm a decent amount younger than you guys, but like songs off this album, I mean, were huge even when I was growing up just because like our parents listened to it. Yeah, this record is like, it was everywhere. I mean, it was thriller big in my world. Like it was the, it was just everywhere. I bet you had the t-shirt. Yes. Most people did. Of course. You went went to the show, I think, right? Yes. And I I mean, like it was on the boom box or the jam box. Every kid's house you went over to hang out at, like had pyromania. Um, A a lot of people, I was going to mention this Gundengleben, Glauchen, Globen is this German sounding intro (laughs) that was made up by guess who? Mutt Lang. Mutt Lang. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Basically a Mutt Lang record. And when they got tired of the one, two, three, four, you know, you do the count in, so he started doing that. And they they just deliberately included it. I looked all over to try to find other songs like that, though. Yeah, and what you're saying, just to clarify what you're saying, is like they just kept doing it over and over, rehearsing and, yeah. and, in, and in the studio that it, they just left yeah. it in. It yeah. became part of the song. Yeah. Yeah, this album went... I always kind of wondered. I'm like, I don't get it. Yeah, like, what's going on with that? Because <laughs> yeah. it's not... I mean, it's called Rock of Ages, which, I mean, I guess, like... Of ages, I thought maybe there was like a medieval theme because it was, you know, very spinal tappy kind of feel mm, to it mm-hmm, almost. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just me, but I'm always surprised totally. though going back because I, I don't listen to a lot of Def Leppard now. I'm always surprised when I first put on any Def, I think this is the second Def Leppard album we covered. We did, we did High and Dry. It sounds so much at first like ACDC to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm like shocked because as a kid, I loved ACDC, but I don't remember thinking these bands sound alike. But to I me, I think that's what they aspired to. I do too. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't realize it then, but I'm like, Jesus, this is just an ACDC uh, like tribute band. But I I never realized too, Henry. I guess until the Shania Twain phenomenon that you know Mutt Lang, how much he had to do with that album and this album. And I guess people always brought that up ironically. Like, um, but I think I think you're right. From all the research and the things I've heard about this album, it's almost like it's a Mutt Lang record. With a band that he brought in. Yeah, he had a much bigger role in crafting the sound of the record than on High and Dry. High and Dry was a little mm-hmm. more edgy. He This became where they were like this polished arena rock group, and this basically became their sound. Yeah, they were trying you know, to make some money. But here, right. I, I always ask myself, you know, if you were given a golden <laughs> ticket, but you had to be a little bit of a douchebag, would you do it? And this is kind of what that sounds like, maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that, but all the drums are are sampled. I, I didn't realize this till I started doing research. Yeah, I didn't either. Symbols. I didn't either. I, I was shocked to find that out. And then um, it's also ironic that, like you know, the, the drummer later will lose an arm, and they'll figure out a way to keep him in the band and rig a drum kit for him to play. Yeah, but he didn't play a note when he had both limbs. Even when he had both, yeah. Um, I was wondering if this was before or after that. It was before, so this yeah. is before. I think I think it happened in between this one and Hysteria, if I'm not mistaken. But it yeah. was interesting that they like because I remember that was a big deal. Like 
we're not a band without him. And then now to go back and go, Mutt Lang didn't think yeah, he was yeah, that he great. He wasn't that great. <laughs> great. He, they sampled all these drums and put it, you know, we talked a lot about the Fairlight. We talked about how Peter Gabriel used it. We talked about how Kate Bush used it. These guys got a hold of it, of it too. <laughs> And this is Jeff Leopard. Yes, <laughs> and this is what they made of it, you know. So one of the things I developed this weird theory about maybe why this record was so popular. There was loads of effects on the guitars, but there were layers of vocals all over the place. That to me, like psychologically, that brings the crowd in, right? It's this psychological thing where you are together with them. You're all soaring together in one thing. The sort of like, like Bohemian like, Rhapsody like or well done record. Yeah, they're 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 it's like a pop record hiding behind metal. Like it's mm-hmm. it's very I honestly now I don't see the songs themselves that different from Shania Twain's songs. Which sounds crazy. But it's like I can hear that they were written more to be pop songs than like metal songs. And as a kid, I struggled with metal. Like mm-hmm. the only two metal bands I really associated with were ACDC and Def Leppard. And I didn't really think about it at the time, but they're very similar. They're more like rock hard rock bands than metal. But yeah. I think his the anthemic layered vocals are what brought you mm-hmm. in because mm-hmm. singing with a group it releases like oxytocin and endorphins. And I feel like listening to that album, like that kind of induces that feeling, you know, I don't know what, what you just um, said, but I agree. I think it's very anthemic and like I dug it as a kid. So, Oh yeah. And I mean, this has like photograph. Yes. Rock of ages. Rock of ages. Foolin, I ah. think. It's not important if you're out of tune singing with this because everybody's, Singing at one time, you know, <laughs> you're in tune with everybody else. Also, you could run all the parents off if the minute you put it in the boombox and they heard the little German thing, they would be like, "Oh God, the kids!" Oh are yeah, that, that weird little evil laugh. Mm-hmm, like, what little, was that supposed to mean? It's like a little, what is he laughing about? It's a little evil elf. <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, thumbs up for me. Man, I, you know, I'm going to give it a thumbs me. up just because I got to give something a thumbs up in this I'm episode. I'm giving it a thumbs up because it's fun. I like it. That's a great reason. All right, I get to introduce the last one. How about that? <laughs> right. This one is by uh, uh, Willie Nelson and uh, Merle Haggard, and it's uh, an album called Poncho and Lefty. It's in the category of stuff we like, and this song is called Poncho and Lefty. Living on the road, my friend, was gonna keep you free and clean. And now you wear your skin like iron, and your breath is hard as kerosene. Weren't your mama's only boy, but her favorite one, it seemed. She began to cry when you said goodbye. Sank into your dream. Pancho was a bandit boy. His horse was fast as polished steel. His gun outside his pants For all the honest world to feel Well, Pancho met his match, you know On the deserts down in Mexico and Nobody heard his dying word Oh, but that's the way Say, they go 
I wanted this record to be good so bad. I love both these guys. These are like two of my favorite country dudes. They're the outlaws. They're the outlaws. What is the production on this record? It is fucking awful. But it was so damn successful. Uh, It it, Again, it did what it was supposed to do. This is your Alabama argument, Chris. I know. And and I looked this up. It was on. It was number one on the country chart for nine months. But Holy the fuck, shit. But yeah. I mean, but they totally butcher a Towns Van Zant song that sounded great when he did it. And it could have been done well by Willie Nelson. Yes. Right. But they cheeseballed it up from the start. I was so disappointed with the whole the production on this record just sounds like that goes cornball garbage. And how many songs are they going to talk sing about, oh, we shouldn't be drinking and carousing so much? Over and over again. <laughs> That's what they were thinking about. They were both Celebrating doing loads of coke over at the and time. Over again. What else are you thinking over about? Over and over again, they're going to keep talking about, oh, we shouldn't be drinking and doing blow anymore. But did you know. did you read the story of this song? Poncho and Lefty? Of what happened when they recorded it? Was it was it that Merle Haggard didn't know the song or something? Well, what he happened... woke him up from a stupor? Yeah, like they'd already... They didn't have any more time booked. And of course, okay. this is so great because both of them were living on a bus, their own <laughs> bus, right? And so they were leaving the next day and Willie's daughter brought this Towns Van Sant song in because Willie thought they didn't have a hit yet. <laughs> and he listened to his daughter's like Towns Van Sant song. I was like, fuck yeah, that's a good song. Got the band and they recorded it. They finished like at 2.30 in the morning and he went to wake Merle up on Merle's bus. And apparently Merle like would do so much coke. Like if he did finally pass out and go to sleep, he was like fucking asleep, right? So apparently he was super pissed. And that's why he's only on like one verse because you, you know, like if you listen to the song and keep waiting for like them to trade verses, yeah, yeah. they don't. <laughs> but Merle like just came in and agreed. Like apparently he's like a like a caged bear and came in and sang like one verse and then went back to the bus. Didn't really know shit about it. And um, exactly what they would expect. Yeah, and then then they made a ton of money off it. But even in the video, I've, I've, have you seen the video? Uh, yes. It looks like Merle doesn't give a shit about what's going on. He's <laughs> just like fuck this. <laughs> I can't ever super hate a record though with their voices on it because Willie Nelson's voice is just well amazing. Didn't, didn't we slag on his his record his last record too? Yeah, like we don't. I don't think we like the direction that country music is trying to go here mm-hmm. in the eighties. We 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 had to be resold country music through punk rock to even get back. But don't you think that like that in this general, the, we that, were, this is the loss to us. Don't you think that like new wave music, uh, punk rock to a lesser degree and like MTV are dominating everything so much, which is kind of the, our genre that it's like bending all the other genres in a bad way towards it. I think we've talked about like R and B got bad during this time period because it had to like try to tame itself down so that MTV would even play it. Mm-hmm. And then country just seems to be dumbed down and watered down at this point. Well, no, do you think that MTV probably was that negative influence in that way because it was so focused on the appearance and other factors that like country music just at the time, especially couldn't really like live up to it instead of going in the opposite direction, which I think would have been better, you know, to like strip it down and be more 
like outlaw, be more right. rough around the edges. They tried to like go the opposite way and get really like glitzy and like polished and it just doesn't work. But you know what sucks, Megan, is it doesn't work as like art or for us, but it actually, this is the dawning of what we know now as country music now, which is like pop music. It's like bad pop music. I expected a lot more out of two like country legends and I, I feel like they phoned it in to the point where they didn't care like whoever produced it was doing, they were just like, "You do the instrumentation and shit. We're just gonna." I just think I was just gonna say that I feel like it's just phoned in, especially mm-hmm. for Merle Haggard. Like, yeah, I just feel like he just did not give a fuck at this point. Yeah, I don't think so either. It's hard to know. I just saw it as like a naked commercial grab, mostly embarrassingly commercial. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to give it a thumbs down, even though I love both these guys a lot. I mean, so we thumbs down every single record except for Pyromania. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. We're, all of us. What are you trying to say? I'm saying, so we're all going to pick Pyromania. I mean, that's that weird. Oh, yeah. Else. I forgot to think of that. Basically, I didn't, I, I'm the only I didn't one. have anything else to pick. I had nothing yeah. else to pick. If you yeah. like the records we're choosing, please rate and review us. <laughs> Damn, on you're already there. <laughs> if you like the records we're choosing, please consider subscribing to the pod. You'll have our newest content downloaded to your device. Please redu- review us on Apple Podcasts or other platforms like Stitcher, Pandora, Spotify, if you're using that. Uh, you can chat us up or ask us questions even on Twitter at 80s Exposed or email us at 80smusicexposed at gmail.com. You can hit us up on social media. New thing you can do is leave us a voicemail. I've got a speak pipe link up on the show notes. If you want to leave us a quick voicemail, cuss us out, tell us about a record you think we should listen to. Uh, comment on uh, on the tone of voice that we use. That'd be all great. Uh, Chris's Twitter handle is... Yeah, also, uh, please apologize to your boss for me if you're listening at your desk and Alabama came out of the speakers. <laughs> we do apologize. For- oh, my Twitter handle is at TCI Duke. Right. My ha- Twitter handle is at Hank G. Megan's Instagram handle is... At Bastards of Young 92. Excellent. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our show. Chris, Megan, guess what? We're done with January. I made you a (laughs) mixtape. Showers wash all my cares away. I wake up to a sunny day because I love a rainy night. Yeah, I love.